Warning. Today's story contains instances of substance abuse and violence by various marine creatures. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 21. The Drabblecast is a weekly podcast that features flash fiction of an atypical nature. Strange stories by strange authors for strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. In today's intro, I'll be reading the top five haiku submissions that made it to the Drabblecast Haiku Contest Finals. If you don't give a crap about haikus and just want to hear this week's particularly bizarre tale, just fast forward a bit, about three minutes. Haikus have three lines. Five, seven, five syllables. Jabblecast. Haiku. Okay, well thanks everyone who sent in haikus. We had some really good stuff sent in. For a list of all the haikus that we got, um, and for a discussion of Drabblecast stories and other topics such as giant squid news and hormone-enhanced superbores and the truth behind male lactation, check out the Drabblecast Facebook group. If you're already a member of Facebook, just do a search for Drabblecast and you'll find us. If you're not, it takes like five seconds to join. Anyone can do it, and pretty much everyone has already, so stop fighting the collective. Resistance is futile. Out of all the haikus that we got, it's come down to these five. Now it's up to you listeners to email goatkeeper at hotmail.com and say, I like so-and-so's haiku the best. The winner will be a featured character in episode 23, which is the conclusion of the reasonably acclaimed, moderately praised Black and White Animals trilogy. It's quite an honor. If you would like to study the deeper meaning behind these five haikus in a more detailed fashion, go to the haiku section of our webpage at www.drabblecast.org. That's right, we finally have an easy-to-remember address. There you can bask in all these haikus' celestial glory for as long as you like. Okay, so here we go. Drum roll, please. Haiku number one. By Trey Jackson. Shirts, coats, bowie knife. Slit of light, peering, waiting. When will you get home? Haiku number two by Adam Carvin. There's meat on that bone. Get yourself a stew going, advised Carl Weathers. Haiku number three by David Carvin. Behold, giant squid, the breakfast of champions, calamarios. Haiku number four by Daniel Osama. A methane snowflake tumbles to the moon's surface, nostalgia for home. Haiku number five by Monica Vasey. Swiftly and with grace, I outswim the giant squid. Webs between my toes. Well, there you have it, folks. 
the Big Five. So pause your player and send a quick email to goatkeeper at hotmail.com telling us which haiku just changed your life forever. If none of these moves you to tears, just email me which one you thought sucked the least. We were going to announce the winner next week on episode 22, but I thought it would be more fun to surprise everyone and have the winner first announce in his or her appearance on episode 23. Episode 23 is going to be killer, people. You're not going to want to miss that crap. Speaking of killer stories, we've got a good one for you this week also. It's called The Metamorphosis of the Phosphorescent Avenger by Daniel Osama. Mr. Osama is from Colorado and has a background in experiential education and journalism. Now he's a stay-at-home dad, writing furiously during nap time and Sesame Street breaks. His writing has appeared in Fictitious Force, The Sword Review, All Possible Worlds, and OG's Speculative Fiction, and most importantly and recently, the Drabblecast Haiku Finals. That wasn't planned, by the way. It just so happened that the same week we were going to read the top five haikus, we were also broadcasting Daniel's story. So, without further ado, The Metamorphosis of the Phosphorescent Avenger by Daniel Osama. The jellyfish popped the uppers and slammed the car into gear. Water spun from his tires with a squeal like a killer whale having an orgasm. Salt sprayed over the car as he drove across the ocean. When the drugs made the plankton dance purple and orange, Jell knew he'd driven far enough, and he turned the car downward into a dive. High-rise coral flashed by. A Portuguese woman of war in a bikini that was barely there swam by, probably a prostitute. Another day he might have picked her up, but today he had to reach the bottom. Bubbles escaped from the hood, pouring over the windshield so he could hardly see. But it didn't really matter. The sea floor would meet him soon and cradle the car to a stop. If anyone got in the way between here and there, it was their own fault. As the light from the surface faded, his own drug-pumped lighting took over, pulsing in phosphorescent hues to light the inside of the car. Jell turned up the music on his stereo and bobbed up and down to the beat. He was so gone in the music and the chemicals, he almost didn't notice when he reached the bottom. The car stopped with only a slight crunch of metal beside a towering column of rock. Jell climbed from the car, and squirted himself toward the lip of the volcanic vent. Lights, arranged in a pattern to proclaim the majesty of the King Whale and the Dolphin Dynasty, lined the fancy building standing beside the rolling water. Yuppie fish swam nearby, sated from their monthly visit to the volcanic spa, but he ignored them. What mattered were the two figures lower down, waiting for him. One was an octopus. Today he was wearing an odd green stovepipe hat and matching coat, and carried a walking stick. The other was a one-eyed porpoise, veteran of the failed Walfen insurrection. He also had a walking stick, a cruel-looking narwhal horn, its point stuck into the rock floor. But there was supposed to be another with them. I'm here, Jell told them as he arrived. 
but I thought you were supposed to bring the dolphin. Porp squinted his good eye at the jellyfish. I did. Great, but well, let's, let's get him out of here and tie him up. When the king comes here to rescue his son, it'll be a nice little reminder of the power of the workers. Porp and Ock shared a look, but stayed silent. Jell felt a sickening feeling rising from his tentacles. Hey, what's going on? Where's the prince? He's here, Oct said, and moved his eight legs aside. A body lay on the sea floor, and not even the drugs in Jell's system could make it look alive. Without needing to get closer, he could see that there were no wounds, and he tasted the poison that laced through the body and into the surrounding water. Jellyfish poison. He wanted to retch. We didn't say nothing about murder. It was a prank. A little kidnapping. His insides twisted. Not dolphin aside. The other two didn't answer him at all, but shot away from there, and suddenly the sea went black. Before the ink could clear, Jell heard sirens and the slam of car doors. They'd betrayed him. And he had no time to wonder why as the agents approached. Wrapping his tentacles around the corpse, he felt a jolt of jellyfish poison. That much could be dangerous, even for him. It was a drug more powerful than his usual habits. Before his mind spun away into images that were out of this ocean, impossible, drug-tripped images of land and the bizarre creatures it could hold, Jell dove down into the volcanic opening. A current of steam pushed against him, scalding his tentacles, but he swam on until he was sure the dolphin body could never resurface. The poison was twisting his perception into impossibilities. Pushing the corpse away into the depths, he clung to the edge. High above, the police and the royal investigators probed the lip of the vent. The hot rock offered Jell no relief from the steam sweeping up his back. But he had to wait until it was safe to rise. He knew it would be a long wait. He knew the scalding of his body would change him, make him less than he'd been. But sometime, he knew he would rise again from near death. Whether it was an hour, a day, three days, or forty, he would rise, and the sea would never be the same. Blasted by the water, he tried to understand what had happened. He'd known Oct for several months, and they'd been planning their little prank ever since they met Porp at a rave. He should have guessed something right there. A grizzled porpoise and an octopus dandy didn't go to raves. The water flayed the flesh from the back of his bell, and he realized he'd been set up from the very beginning. His scream sent purple ripples through the nearly steaming water, but that was only the last of the drugs boiling from his body. They had wanted to remind the high and mighty whales of the plight of the bottom feeders, so they'd said. Really, they must have wanted to kill the dolphin prince all along, and found in Jell the perfect jellyfish patsy. He ground his tentacles into the rock. He wouldn't let it turn him from speaking out for the underfish. Even if the water turned him into little more than a ghost of a jellyfish, he could fight for them. 
He wouldn't fight directly against the king. He owed that much for his part in the death of the Dolphin Prince. And whatever he did, he'd keep a lookout for his new nemesis, the grizzled porpoise and the octopus dandy. Stripped to almost nothing, his jelly body glowed, and for once, it wasn't drugs. He was becoming a new superhero of the seas. Well, that's our story. I hope you enjoyed it. Kind of like how Finding Nemo might have turned out if Quentin Tarantino directed it. Well, that's all for this week. Tune in next week for episode 22 of the Drabblecast. In the meantime, tell a friend about the Drabblecast and send your stories in to goatkeeper at hotmail.com. If you enjoyed today's story, comment on the website, drabblecast.org. And if you think you'd be interested in hearing songs about milking whales and alien parasite infestations, check out normsherman.com for some of my tunes. The Drabblecast staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and myself, Norm Sherman, reminding all you vertebrates and invertebrates alike to just say no to drugs. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all splurred when spoke. In the dark corner table sits Lance Fernandez.